Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also, become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon, or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. By the time I met the people, um, you know, I just took them for who they were. You know, I wasn't starstruck. Uh, at the time, when I met Seal, I mean, he had, he was uh, homeless when he did that first record. They found him on a park bench in the UK. He had nothing, and uh, he just except some incredible talent. And uh, he was lucky that Trevor Horn saw that talent and knew what to do with. Also. Uh, a guy that was very uh, instrumental in all the writing of uh, Seal's first hits was a guy named Guy Zigsworth, Zigworth, uh, producer in England, who um, I did uh, some. I met him doing a gig with Bernie Worrell, and so you know, I just kind of fell into it all, and uh, I never really thought about it. I never contrived to meet anybody. It was never anything like that. It was just, to me, it just seemed like the next job. Uh, I got to support myself, so it's the next job. And some of them were fun, and some of them were real work. You know, there were times when I was like, I thought I'd never feel this, but there were times where I couldn't wait to get out of the studio. You know, when I got home, I didn't want to hear anything with a beat. You know, <laughs> if it if it was music, it had to have no beat, you know, violins or something, you know, because all day long I'm getting hammered. So it's, I wouldn't trade all that for anything. It's incredibly fun. What, what do you listen to mostly on your own if you're going to go listen to music? Okay. Um, sometimes I'll listen to something I'm in the process of doing just to check it on a lot of different speakers. But if, oh, if, if I, if, you know, stuff I love to listen to, I'll pull out uh, Miles Davis' Jack, uh, tribute to Jack Johnson album with uh, you know, John McLaughlin on it, Billy, Billy Cobham, or I'll pull out some uh, Herbie Hancock Headhunters or um, uh, John McLaughlin, I've seen the body, no, um, Weather Reports, I've seen the Body Electric. Um, uh, there's a John McLaughlin album, I forget the name of it, um, that uh, I want to say Extrapolation, but I'm not sure. Um, it's just two guitars, left and right. 
killer. Um, I'll listen to Steely Dan. I'll, sometimes I'll listen to the Beatles. I'll listen to old funk records. You know, like uh, some of my favorite records. Uh, Knee Deep by Parliament Funkadelic. I'm wearing the shirt for that one. Funkin' for Jamaica, Tom Brown. Um, Tell Me Something Good, Rufus. Um, I just love real music, so I'll listen to anything that's real. Um, nowadays, it's so much different, you know, because you not only hear the people, but you can see them now. So it's a different experience. Something you might not like, just audio, you'll like it because of the content that you're viewing at the same time. Um, some things that you wouldn't like viewing it, you might just like it better just the audio. But I mostly what I look for is new, young, enthusiastic people that are slamming it. Like, uh, uh, oh, what's the name of that band? They, uh, uh, I, I want to say Skinny Puppy, but it isn't that. I've, I've drawn a blank here. Snarky. Uh, snark, yes. Love those guys. They are cool, yeah. Mono Neon. Oh, man. Love him. Yeah. I love that. You know, just, I'm, I listen to a lot of the, the new things that people are doing. Um, that, that They're pushing the envelope further. I love that. And I love the, the young enthusiasm of what's happening today and the musicianship is off the chain most of the time which I really like um, so and and I love that uh, you know like one there's one thing I did pay there was Zildjian symbols started doing this thing Zildjian live and they would have uh, I think it's snarky puppy doing all the music and they have different drummers come on but as a result, they're playing, you know, much different music than they would normally play. Um, but it's killer. So I've been checking a lot of that. Um, so I, and so I mix the, the old with the very new, you know. Yeah. And I really love this, uh, this album just for the pure melody of it is an album that was done in the 90s um, by this French group but it's called Deep Forest. And um, they made this record from all these Indians they had recorded in the rainforest. <laughs> it, you know, most people would think it was corny, but I love the melodies. I can listen to it over and over again. So um, <laughs> really anything good, <laughs> you know, I'm open to <laughs> You know, you, you've played with so many people. It's incredible when you step back and look at it, I'm sure. But when I was just going through some of your you know, live performances on YouTube recently, I saw that you've even played with one of my favorite guitar players, Eric Gales, at a show. Eric's special. Eric's a special uh, a man. I mean, when I met Eric, I didn't even know who he was. I had never heard of Eric Gales, right? I mean, that's crazy. So I got a call. The way I got that happened was I got a call from uh, a promoter in Germany. One, one, he was... He put a band together with Eric Gales, T.M. Stevens, and me. And he worked with all of us, so he knew 
he's one of these guys that knows how to put a combination of people together. And uh, so none of us, had, you know, I, I knew TM. I had met TM several times. He, you know, we had the same bank in New York, so I'd see him all the time. But uh, I never heard of Eric Gales. So I looked him up on YouTube like you would do, and he freaked me out. I'd never heard anyone play guitar like that. Like so I called him up. Yeah. I called him up and said, hey, man, I never heard of you before, but I just watched you. You're playing your ass off. Give me a call. You know, so he gave me a call, and we didn't rehearse or anything. And from the first gig, it was slamming from the first gig. It was like we had played together our whole lives. So that was a, a really fun experience because Eric, uh, I mean, you got one of the world's greatest bass players. You know, TM, when he was going, he could play anything, absolutely anything. I heard things come out of him that were crazy good. And then Eric, who I had never heard before, so I was watching the show every night, man. I, it was, uh, I was just doing my best to hang in with these guys. And uh, it was so much fun, so much fun. And Eric's, uh, I know he, he, uh, he went through a lot, you know, because when we did those gigs, he had just gotten released from prison. And uh, I didn't know anything about Eric. I didn't know his past or anything like that, so I... It was a good platform. I just, but sometimes it was crazy. We'd be doing a gig, and I could have sworn God was just shooting music into this man's head because stuff that was coming out, and it looked effortless him doing it. You know, it was ridiculous. But what I loved about Eric more than anything was what I like about Doug Wimish and Skip McDonald and all the great musicians I've been fortunate enough to play with is they play for the music. It's not about ego. It's not showing off. It's musical. It reaches into your soul. And uh, so that that's what I, I loved about Eric. And it take, takes a listener on a mutual journey. Yeah. I mean, I think an audience knows when you're honest. They know when it's real and they know when it's fake. Mm -hmm. uh, and because if you know, you know when it's real and you know when it's fake. I mean, if you're not quite there on a night, people feel it. They know it. And uh, but that's what musicians, I think, always shoot for. That's what I always shoot for. Those moments where everything's clicking because they don't happen every time. You know, but when they do happen, they make you strive for that every time. And uh, so maybe the object is to get as proficient as you can on your instruments. So even when you're having a bad night, no one knows it but you. <laughs> the muscle memory takes over. Well, just, well, it's mostly creative energy. You know, some nights... Uh, you never know. Everything's happening. Other nights, everything's fighting. You know, it's funny. The some of the best gigs are the ones you don't have any time to think about. You're late to the gig. There's people in the room when you're setting up, waiting. You know, those are the great gigs because there's no forethought, and people just let things happen. But that's the main thing. 
when you're in that zone of good music, um, you, you really it's hard for you to settle for anything less in a musical environment. And so I, I, I was really lucky being able to play with people that were way better than me and were willing to put up with me. And uh, so now if I'm in that same situation where I've got to put up with somebody, it's given me the wisdom and the forgiveness to nurture rather than get disappointed, you know, to help that musician, pull them along. What, what's typically going through your mind uh, when you're in the middle, you know, you're in the midst of that type of thing, you know, where you're playing with the others and it's gelling and, you know, are you actually thinking about what future, you know, fills you might do or anything like that? Or is it just all instinctual? What's going through your mind? Mm, well, I, the music dictates what I do. What I hear makes, I'm not thinking about anything. All I'm thinking, I think it's a product of playing with records, um, growing up playing with records. If you do that, it's not any fun unless you're part of the music. You have to, you, it forces you to play musically. So I, when I play with a group, I listen to the total sound. I'm not listening to me. So I wouldn't think, oh, I could fit a fill in here. I could, that really, if that crosses my mind, I'm not really in the music. So, you know, I, I heard Steve Gadd say it once, and, and it's true. I mean, he, the music plays me, basically. You know, like if I'm, if I'm playing where the music sounds horrible, what I'm hearing sounds horrible. That's how I sound. <laughs> horrible. I try to fit into wherever I am and make it all work. So uh, any judgments I make are musical judgments where I try to leave enough room to let things happen and then nurture what does happen. And uh, if something isn't working, I will change what I'm doing to make it work. Uh, so uh, I look at it as a totally supportive role. So if I'm doing any thinking when I'm in that zone, it's, oh man, where this is going, oh, it'd be great if I broke it down to a whisper in three bars, you know, that, that kind of thought might come in, you know, um, but no, it's, it's, I think it's just instinctual. The music, it's like, you know, it's like I'm, uh hooked up to an electronic circuit and someone puts a little current and my arm goes like that, you know, it's your ears. What, what comes in, um, you know, and I don't think I've ever listened to myself, um, only. And, uh, I don't think, I don't think you can play music that way. You have to listen to the total sound everyone's making and it has to be supported by everybody playing. And you can feel that, and the audience can feel that too. And it's that's where the magic is—the that communication, that higher level of communication. And uh, I think it's the ultimate communication on the planet because frequency holds everything together. Our bodies, this mouse, all has its own resonant frequency. That's what holds the whole planet together, whole the universe. So it's all music. 
And uh, like water, I think we need that. And uh, so thank God for the internet where we can tune into someone playing some blazing stuff that moves you, you know, or, or like, uh, you know, I used to drive to New York when I was working at Chevrolet. I used to make that journey from Connecticut. And there was a, always a traffic jam at the George Washington Bridge getting onto it, going over to New Jersey where they were located. And those traffic jams, I would either get out my sticks and practice or I turn in a classical station and close the windows. And it made everything move a lot different. <laughs> you know, just, you know, the classical uh, orchestra music, you know, which has nothing to do with a traffic jam, but it, it kind of made everything like a dance then and it made it go quicker. So Symphony music of life. Is, yeah. yeah. I mean, you've talked to some of the great funksters in the world. You, you're, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're surprised by some of the answers and not surprised by some of the answers. But. When you look back, uh, Keith, is there a single piece of work you feel the most satisfied or proud of having done? Hmm. Um, uh, probably major malfunction. Uh, if, if I had to pick something I had done that, uh, that still stands up and I can, I, you know, I, I don't, the original that was uncut up and everything, um, that was, uh, that was, I think that was, uh, one of my favorites and, um, this chess project I've been working on, that's in that category too. That's one of those um, records that'll stand the test of time. So, yeah, I think I'm probably uh, most proud of that. And some work I did with, uh, some of it was released but never released properly with this wonderful guitarist in uh, England named Mano Ventura, who, um, he, he told me he wanted me to play his music, and he sent me his music, and I said, I can't play this. <laughs> I mean, it was way beyond me. But he nurtured me along, and I saw the musical beyond with him, so I was really proud of uh, a group that I played in with, with him. Um, and uh, as far as uh, the instrument goes, because I've never been one to be able to play a fill for the sake of playing a fill or, or uh, put in things for the sake of putting them. They have to musically work. And his music required me to be on 10 all the time as far as output. Not necessarily, you know, the dynamic range of the band was incredible. So I'm not talking about loudness. I'm talking about the output of ideas. The music required that. It didn't sound right if, if that wasn't there. So it was the first chance I really had that be able to come out of me. And uh, so that what, that's one of my favorite live experiences is playing with that man, um, who should be a national treasure in England, man. I mean, every guitar player has picked this guy's brain, never talks about him. Uh, all, all the famous guitar players, every single one of them. This guy is a genius, one of the few geniuses I've met. And uh, so, and I've met quite a few, <laughs> um, but uh, 
Yeah, I would say major malfunction. You know, it, it's uh, it's just one of those records. You know, it's it, it was the right time, and I had all the ingredients around me to do it. All the right people, the right energy. Uh, so that one, that would be uh, that would be my favorite. And is there one performance that stands out? One experience on the road that leaps out that was just an unforgettable experience for some reason? Wow, that's a good question. There's so many. Um, gee. Well, you know, I'd have to, there were, I, there were always great experiences with everybody I played with. Um, but, uh, and I, I remember so many wonderful experiences with everybody I played with, but I think probably, uh, um, I'd have to say uh, playing with Eric Gales, that was pretty high up there because every night it was killing every night. I, it was just great every night. And uh, Tackhead, that was a great musical experience, being able to play with those guys. But I think the most fun I had had to be being on the road with Sugar Hill opening up for Parliament Funkadelic every night because me and Doug got to uh, watch those guys every night. And that was really fun. You know, they had Maceo Parker. They had Felipe Wynn um, on stage. Um, Bernie Worrell, you know, and they had Dennis Chambers playing drums and, and Skeet Curtis playing bass. And you're talking about a rhythm, rhythm section, you know, you just can't be beat. And I, I think Skeet and Dennis had turned down Weather Report to do Funkadelic, actually. I think... Uh, Zawinol or someone heard them both, you know, because they were monsters. So every night I was behind the drum riser and uh, Doug was, you know, near the bass amps. And we checked those guys out. And it got to be where we could just walk on stage and the guys in a band would tell It was like nothing I'd ever seen before, you know. It was, uh, you know, so many people in a band and such a huge groove and like 20,000 people all doing the same dance every, you know, and just the whole the auditorium just moving and uh, unthrashable, unthrashable times. Uh, I think that one sticks in my mind quite a bit because it was all brand new, you know, and everybody that was on the shows, because there were a lot of other bands on the shows, were all so good, so fun to watch, you know, all these bands. And uh, well, that, that I was really lucky to be there. I think that was the 83 tour. So I was at the show they did at the Beverly Theater in Los Angeles, which got uh, released as a record later on. Um, really? Yeah. And that, that band, man, it was all those people you mentioned, but also it had all the guitar players there, Eddie Hazel and Michael oh, Hampton yep. and Gary Scheidner. And, and, yep. Um, yep. They were all there. Blackbird, McKnight. Yep. Blackbird was there. And, uh, um, and Bootsy came out uh, on some of the shows, too, for like a cameo. I never saw Bootsy come out. George, actually, when we were on the road, Clip, um, Gary Scheider, he did the frontman thing, 
George would only come out to like the major cities, like, you know, where they really needed him, like DC, you know, Detroit, places like that. But otherwise, the in-between gigs, he wouldn't make. But boy, when George was on the stage, woo, woo, it was hot. That band was hot. And that I think that's the best band Funkadelic ever had, that Knee Deep tour. That was, that had to be the best band they ever had. Um, but I know a lot of people would disagree with me, you know, because there were a lot of great musicians that went through that band. Uh, so, uh, but that was, you know, see, I had never even heard of Funkadelic. And next thing you know, I'm on the road with them, right? So I think that's why it's such a striking memory for me, because it was all brand new, you know. Uh, like Doug and Skip, they knew everything about Funkadelic. Well, you, you know? got and Tackhead did some covers later on of Funkadelic tracks. Oh yeah, man! Because we loved Funkadelic, we knew yeah. all the grooves, you know, <laughs> and uh, Pleasure too. We used to we used to steal their grooves and play them on stage too. Those boys were amazing on on stage. They're really nice guys, um, and we we uh, that whole time period. I got to meet so many wonderful musicians that didn't let me down, you know. Um, and a lot of them I didn't even I didn't even know about, but they were just I don't know for some reason really good musicians seem to be some of the nicest people I've, I've, I've ever met. And, uh, so I don't know whether that goes hand in hand, but uh, not to say you have to be a musician to be be nice or anything, but. Like most of the really great musicians I've met, they they don't talk about music much when you talk to them. You know, there's people. There are people too. Yeah, they, they just want to <laughs> hang out. You know, it, um, I remember we were we were on a show with the Roots, and I had never heard them. Uh, you know, and um, the only one that in the band that would talk to us was their DJ. He was in the dressing room. And that, um, so it was about a, a month later, I heard a record in a club they were playing. I said, who is that? Because it just killed me. I loved it. And he said, oh, that's The Roots. And I went, oh, man, we just played with those guys. And, and, so I was really disappointed I didn't get to know the band, you know. But they were hiding out. It was a weird kind of... Um, setup they had at this concert and uh that same concert john mclaughlin was playing and dennis chambers was playing with him and when me and dennis met we both had hair you know and i was i shaved it off early but dennis waited quite a while so there's this big 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 outdoor place and he's playing with mclaughlin and he sees me from the stage so he takes his hat off <laughs> to show me he shaved his head, you know. And then we went backstage, and uh, we we were all messing with Dennis, saying he looked like the cook, he looked like Spanky in our gang, or you know, we're throwing jokes at him, you know, snapping on him. And McLaughlin loved it, you know. And we we talked about everything but music. And uh, so it's just. I think it's more of a camaraderie of, uh, it's like being in the military together. You know, all the pain of travel and the hotel and being away from your family, you know, you can relate. The music is secondary, you know, it's like that's what you're there for, you know, everybody knows that. Like the fraternity, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, but 
it's all the stuff you got to put up with to play music. I mean, that's to me, all the traveling and everything was just a means to an end. You know, as long as I got to play that night, that's what was important. You know, the bad food, you know, the the whole the, the weird hotels, you know, the almost traffic accidents, necessary you know. evils. Yeah. Well, you do a lot of traveling. I mean, I think I'm blessed to have made it through all of us because that are still here because traveling so much can happen to you. You know, you've I've been so close so many times and uh but uh, I think the musical fraternity, they got to stick together and support each other. And I, I love to see that, you know, and there's nothing better. And that's what I loved about Eric's gig. That was very memorable because Eric and TM and me would let people sit in every night. And it brought a whole other dimension to the, the whole thing. You know, um, and uh, I remember uh, one. I did a gig with them at the Nam Show. I must have let four or five drummers sit in that that night. You know, because they all wanted to play with Eric. I get it. You know, it was fun to play with. So he had his, his regular drummer, and then he had uh, um, this this other. I forget his name. Is great. They were all brilliant, and uh, so I. I told Eric, I said, you know, got to let all these guys sit in. He goes, yeah, I was going to ask you. I said, yeah, man. So the next day I had this drum mob to hang out with, and we went and descended on all the stands, you know, in a gang. We had a gang of drummers. So I think it's, you know, the camaraderie amongst, amongst musicians. I, I focus in on that. I, the competition I don't really care for, um, I, I, as long as it's healthy, you know, like uh, I remember Funkadelic let us use their gear one time, you know, because they liked us while we were opening up for us, and they gave us a few little explosions and stuff. And um, so we sound checked on their gear one time, and they came out and said, no, 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 you can't use our gear. You sound a little too good. <laughs> <laughs> but it was honest, you know what I mean? It was honest. That, that was actually, I remember that that show too there's so many musicians but it's also one of the loudest shows i've seen i mean that was really loud the, that funkadelic show well they had i forget the name of the sound company but uh it might have been shoko was the name of it but they i mean the first when when we walked in for the first time the first show skeet hit a note on the bass shook the shook my whole insides it was amazing yeah but you're lucky to have seen those shows because, you know, not much of that got recorded. Um, video, you know. Yeah, the lack of video is a real shame. Um, you know, but when you mentioned George Clinton, though, I also thought about um, one of his protege bands in the mid-'80s was Jimmy G and the Federation of Tech Heads. And uh, I heard there was like a legal thing over that with your guy's name. And uh, what do you remember about that? Well... We got to know George pretty good, you know, and uh, Doug came up with the name Tackhead, Doug Wimbish. He came up with the name Tackhead, and then we were looking for an album cover for it, and Skip had the New York Times, and there was a picture of the Statue of Liberty. He goes, that's our album cover. So everyone, okay, so we had an artist draw it up, and that was it. That's So people associated the things coming out of the head, you know, who knows, 
but Tackhead was like a, 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 a nickname for like a homeboy, you know, at the, uh, and, um, so we got to know George pretty good and, uh, we're playing a club in London and Clip is in the front row. We're doing a Tackhead gig. And Clip came backstage and he said, Hey man, George is getting ready to steal your name. I just thought I'd let you know. His cousin, or he's, you know, his, his cousin or his son had the band. So George put it out. And fortunately, uh, this, uh, we had a lawyer that was a good friend, and he just, you know, we had put out several records with Tackett. So we just, you know, George didn't, Clinton didn't fight, fight it, you know. I, as a matter of fact, um, Clip said, he basically said, well, George liked the name, but I think he forgot where he heard it, you know, because <laughs> I don't think George even did it on purpose, because as soon as, there was no big legal thing, it was our lawyer calling his, the company lawyer and saying, look, you know, here's the deal, they've released these many records under that name, it's copywritten, you know, and George just went, okay, no problem. But that record's still out there, you know. But, well, still out there, yeah, but do you think that uh, hindered their promotion of that record after that? Probably, yeah. Probably, I I didn't think about it, but you're probably right. It probably did, but that was the one thing we could call our own was Tackhead, you know. And we weren't gonna let anybody have it. George Clinton, nobody. The King of England, we didn't care, you know. So when we were young and full of ourselves, you know, and to us, George, you know, he might have been Godfather of Funk, but he was just a man like anybody else, you know, so, but George didn't take it personally, and, uh, you know, I think George just forgot where he heard it, I think it was that simple, you know, because yeah. Doug and Skip had spent, uh, I never went to George's house, but Doug and Skip went up there and spent quite a while cut recording with him up there for a while. Um, they, they ended up changing to incorporate a thing band for the next record, um, but, uh, it was at that same time, too, when that movie Tapeheads came out, and I felt like that was also some, like, overlap with what you guys were doing. It was all, like, around the same time frame. Yeah, we were a big influence, uh, you know, Radiohead. You know, they were all in the front row. Our manager, like I told you, our manager used to tell us, you've got to get a vocalist because these bands are going to, you know. I mean, any, any given gig, we had Living Color in the front row, um, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, Smashing Pumpkins, um, Radiohead, Swan, you know, all these bands. Um, and we, we knew we were doing something good because we were influencing other bands. And we could see it. But at the same time, it was... It was uh, bittersweet because we just couldn't seem to find a way to capitalize on that, you know, because we couldn't help ourselves. We kept pushing ground, you know, and then, then when everyone else started doing more or less the same thing, I think everyone in the band was bored and wanted to move on to something else. So we started doing... Uh, Skip McDonald started a band, Little Axe, and we started doing that. That took off, and 
I, I did a lot of sessions for Lee Scratch Perry, and you know, Adrian opened up a whole, the whole reggae thing, you know, and uh, so. Did you ever work with Sly and Robbie? No, never did. Never even got to meet him. Hmm. Never even got to meet him. But I got to meet Bootsy a few times. That was one of my heroes. Um, and uh, I got to work with Bim Sherman for quite a while. Did a f um, Junior Delgado. But at least Scratch Perry had to be the most interesting out of the bunch. Uh, how, how, can, uh, how can people keep up with uh, what you have going on? And you have this uh, like samples business too and that kind of stuff, right? So why don't you talk about that a little? Well, I, I'm uh, not only... I, I was... I kind of ground broke sampling CDs. Um, so unscrupulously, there was this uh, sample house that I was doing them for. And uh, they fell to the wayside and became, the guy became like a major pirate. And, uh, you know, ripped me off for untold amounts of money. My accountant was in shock. Um, which I've never seen, but Vinnie Caliuto told me, he said, Keith, man, you should have long tall corn. Your sample CDs are in every studio I go in. Everybody's got them. Everyone's using them. So I, uh, I got fed up because the guy was selling it all over the internet. My lawyers couldn't, he was so slippery. So, um, I just put it up for free for like, about a year and it made him disappear um so recently you know people were bugging me they kept asking me about where they could get my sample cds so this guy started selling them again so i put them up at a, a decent price for people and i plan on doing i've got a few more in the works that i'm going to release but uh you can i've got a website it's keithleblank.com and you can download them there, or you can go to my Facebook page, and there's links there to my website where you can download them. And uh, that's the only place you can get them, because uh, really, if you if you get them anywhere else, you won't have a legal license to use it. Um, you know, if you bought it from AMG, which was this guy's company, he didn't have any legal he didn't have a legal license for me to sell it. So um, it's amazing, you know that. Uh, the people that don't do the creating, uh, if someone does 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 the packaging, you know, they they forget about the person that created it sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, but those sample CDs, they're a wide range of different styles, and uh, the most comments I got on them from musicians was um, they inspire them to write music. Because it's not just beats. It's not your average sample CDs. It's uh, they're almost like little microcosms of songs, you know, ideas. And grooves, so, yeah. Yep, and grooves. So a lot of times, you know, if I'm stuck for an idea, I'll pull out my library of that. And, you know, it'll start me down the road of doing something that, that I like or might work on something. I use this stuff myself. And uh, Adrian Sherwood uh, mixed... Uh, some of the titles too. So he's done some outrageous dubs, and it's all it's all done on uh, all analog discs. 
you know, Neves, SSL, you know, um, MCI, tape, top shelf microphones, you know, and it's really hard to get that done these days, you know, um, you don't, you know, a lot of people are making sample CDs in their bedroom now, you know, through plugins, uh, and some of that stuff is great, and if they download it from me, they've got a proper license, you know, so if they use it in a hit record, they're not going to get sued or anything, you know, um, and I can't say that if they buy it from AMG, that guy's very slippery. Uh, <laughs> have, you, have you heard any of your samples and hits that you weren't part of? Oh, yeah. Yep. Quite a few times. And it's always inspiring to me to hear someone, you know, because people use, they always hear something different, you know. So uh, there, there have been a, there was this really huge group that actually uh, used something and they didn't combine it with their music. They just uh, used it on its own. <laughs> And uh, that was the only time I felt a little bit, a little twinge, you know, but I didn't, I mean, life's too short, you know what I mean? And I can, I can make more and that's what I do. So, um, you know, people don't have to worry. You might as well say it's royalty free if you get it from me, <laughs> you know? So, uh, um, but I have heard it a lot. Mostly in the movie soundtracks, a lot. Mm. I've heard a lot of my stuff, and uh, I think that would be a fun job. I'd love to do a movie soundtrack someday. I think I'd be good at it. I would uh, think so. Seems like I a hope good fit. I'd be good at it. Seems like a good fit to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but no one's ever given me a chance to do that. So, well, one I did do one little thing for a movie. I forget which movie it was, but they actually had me in with the screen. I did a little percussion thing for it, but it was just so quick. Um, but, you know, some of my favorite, I'll tell you what, I, I love the soundtrack to Blade Runner. Parts of the soundtrack to Blade Runner, Vangelis. You ask me what I like to listen to, mm, you know, that harmonica kills me every time. You know, just, uh, I love that combination. No. Excellent. Hey, Keith, thank you so much. Your story is phenomenal. Uh, people are going to love it. I really appreciate you sharing all the time and all the memories and all of the musical insights. Well, thank you very much, Scott. I mean, what's more fun than talking about yourself? Who doesn't <laughs> like to do that? I mean, come on. If someone will listen, oh, that's a wonderful thing. Thank you for listening. And uh, inviting me to do this, uh, you know, because uh, not many, you know, I'm not really a household name, and I never set out to be, but um, I, I, I don't mind sharing, you know, especially now, and uh, I, and I really uh, am grateful for the opportunity, and uh, thank you once again. Well, thank you for all the great music through the years, and. Uh Continue to take good care, be safe, and look forward to seeing you out there on the road in the not-too-distant future, I hope. Well, we're looking at um, October 2021. Tack it right, the calendar. 
on you sound 40th anniversary um, somewhere in London we'll see how far it flies <laughs> that'll be the next the next big one I think all right we'll keep an eye out for that take good care all right bye-bye I hope you enjoyed this episode of truth and rhythm a big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you the viewer and listener also much gratitude to pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying everything is on the one the first guy to funk book at amazon shopping at the funky things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your amazon purchases in addition if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven results-oriented professional marketing pr writing or editing consultation or production check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.